0: Welcome to the first episode of the conspiracy.podbean.com podcast. You could probably download this from iTunes, which is probably where you found me, but uh, you could also go to the uh, conspiracy.podbean.com website and download this directly through them. So, uh, obviously, this is a, a weekly look at various popular conspiracy theories out there and the various perspectives and such on the topic. So, This is my first actual conspiracy theory that we'll discuss, and and for the first topic, I thought we'd uh, start off with something in the way back, uh, in the 1940s, uh, of course, uh, what I'm talking about is Pearl Harbor, Um, definitely one of the more dramatic incidents uh, in our history, and... um, Uh, Definitely uh, lots of conspiracy theories around this one. Uh, Primarily the question is, did President Roosevelt actually know that the attack was coming? And if he did know, why didn't he defend against it? So just a quick breakdown on basically what went down is is shortly uh, after uh, the wee hours of the dawn on December 7th of 1941, which was a Sunday, um, Japanese planes launched basically an all-out attack on Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, the, um, uh, the major U.S. military base there. And, and within about two hours, they damaged uh, or or destroyed 18 warships and more than 200 aircraft They killed over 2,400 American soldiers and sailors and Marines, and they wounded um, uh, just under 1,200. Um, and, and the country was pretty much stunned and, and outraged. And the very next day, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Uh, delivered a stirring speech which you can probably download off of iTunes um, to Congress and uh, he referred to this day of the attack as a date which will live uh, on in infamy Uh, so in response Congress declares war and the US closed the ranks behind the Presidents uh, the President's motives here or his actions and so despite America's uh, commitment to the war uh, some questions started to arise about Pearl Harbor that really weren't very easily dismissed. Like, how were we caught so completely by surprise? Why were losses so high? Who was to blame? Did the President know an attack was coming? Did he purposely do nothing so America would be drawn into the war? Um, Although there were seven full inquiries before the war ended, the the questions have still to be answered. So, uh, the first question that I'm going to try to respond to is did the U.S. intercept Japanese messages long before the attack but fail to warn the Hawaiian base? Um, And there are a number of suspicious facts that really need to be taken into account. For example, by the summer of 1940, uh, we cracked Japan's top secret diplomatic code. It was called Purple. Uh, And this let uh, our intelligence agencies monitor their messages to and from Tokyo. Um, Even though... A whole bunch of US command posts received machines for decoding purple Pearl Harbor was never given one hmm um, lots of messages were intercepted in the autumn of 1941 and they suggested that the Japanese were basically planning on October 9th, 1941 uh, um, they were basically Tokyo told its consul in Honolulu to divide the, and actually, I have the quote here. It's They said, divide the water around per- Pearl Harbor into five sub areas and report on the types and numbers of American warcraft. This is uh, out of a, a book called uh, Revisionism and the Origins of Pearl Harbor. Um, the Japanese were also, you know, you, their plan was uh, to have the Japanese foreign minister. Um, urged negotiators to resolve uh, issues with the U.S. by the 29th, the uh, 29th of November, after which things are automatically going to happen. You know, same, same book, uh, besides that resource. Um, on December 1st, after the negotiations failed, the Navy intercepted a request that the Japanese ambassador in Berlin inform Hitler of an extreme danger of war coming quicker than anyone dreams. But uh, on the other hand, although the U.S. uh, had cracked the top secret Japanese codes several years earlier, um, there's a historian, military historian, named David Kahn, who in 1991 wrote in uh, Military History Quarterly that the fact is that the code breaking intelligence didn't prevent and couldn't have prevented Pearl Harbor because Japan never sent any message to anybody saying anything like we're gonna attack Pearl Harbor Um, um, the Japanese ambassador in Washington was never told of the plan uh, nor were other Japanese diplomats or consular officials the ships of the strike force were never radioed any messages uh, mentioning Pearl Harbor it was uh, as a result of that, it's pretty much impossible for uh, crypto analysts to uh, have discovered the plan. Despite the American code breakers, um, Japan kept the secret. Um, and Washington had issued a warning to commanders at Pearl Harbor for a, a, a few weeks earlier November twenty seventh, 1941 uh, General George Marshall sent uh, this message and I've got it here he said um, hostile action possible at any moment if hostilities cannot repeat cannot be avoided the United States desires that Japan commit the first overt act um, And then he also says this policy should not repeat not be construed as restricting you to a course of action that might jeopardize your defense but the commanders at Pearl Harbor were uh, probably negligent. Uh, the base should have had at least they should have at least been on alert but the anti-aircraft guns were unmanned and most people on the base were asleep when the attacks came so, so th- the next question then is did a sailor pick up the signals from the approaching Japanese fleet and pass the information on to the White House which of course ignored it um, and, and, and again lots of suspicious facts here uh, the, the theory itself is promoted by uh, a book uh, written by John Tolland um, named Infamy and in this book he the author asserts that in early December an electronics expert in the 12th Naval District in San Francisco who Tolland refers to as uh, Seaman Z <laughs> identifies queer signals in the Pacific it's right out of the book here it says um, using cross bearings he identifies them uh, As originating from a a missing Japanese carrier fleet, which hadn't been heard from in months. He determined that the fleet was heading directly for Hawaii. Toland says that although Seaman Z and his superior officer allegedly reported their findings to the Office of Naval Intelligence, whose chief was a close friend of the president, Pearl Harbor never got the warning. But on the other hand, uh, a guy uh, by the name of Gordon. I, and I think the pronunciation is Prang or Prange um, wrote a, a book called Pearl Harbor, The Verdict of History he, he pretty much refutes uh, of most of Toland's ass- assertions um, he concedes that there uh, may have been un- unusual Japanese signals that night um, but says that they were almost certainly signals to the carriers from Tokyo and so would have been useless in locating the carrier the carriers. So to prove his point um, Prang, I'll just call him Prang, he he quotes reporters written uh, by Mitsuo Fuchida who led the air attack on Pearl Harbor he says the force maintained the strictest silence throughout the cruise. Admiral Jenda Uh, stressed that radio silence was so important that the pilots agreed not to go on the air even if their lives depended on it. Uh, The Chief of Staff of the Fleet Admiral Nagumo uh, adds uh, all transmitters were sealed and all hands were ordered to be kept away from any key of the machine. Um, And then there's this other note that he makes too, which I think is interesting. Says. It would be interesting to know how the 12th Naval District in San Francisco could pick up information that the 14th Naval District, much nearer the action, which of course is in Honolulu, missed. And then the last thing that I wanted to point out is that uh, this author uh, reports that years after the war this Seaman Z character was identified as a, as a person named Robert D. Ogg, who was basically a retired California businessman And uh, this AUG guy flatly denied that he had said the unusual signals were the missing carrier force, nor was he even sure that the transmissions were in Japanese. Um, I have a quote from this AUG guy, Siemens. He says, I never questioned them at the time. So, even if FDR didn't specifically know about an impending attack on Pearl Harbor, he may have done his best to provoke the Japanese into attacking us to gain the support of the public for his war plans. Um, For example, we know that he told his closest aides that if the Allies were to be victorious, the U.S. had to enter the war before Japan overran the Pacific and Germany destroyed England. Uh, He told a British emissary that the United States would uh, and I've got the quote, He he said that um, the U.S. would declare war on Japan if the latter attacked American possessions, but public opinion would be unlikely to approve of a declaration of war if the Japanese attack were directed only against British or Dutch territories. Now here's something else to consider. Um, uh, July twenty-fifth, 1941, uh, Roosevelt froze Japanese assets in the United States, and in 1937, Japan sank a U.S. warship in China's Yangtze River and uh, basically relationship between America and, and Japan really just went downhill from there. Um, uh, both countries made a public effort to negotiate, but uh, Roosevelt presented a series of possible ultimatums to the Japanese negotiators and he openly loaned money to the Nationalist Chinese who the Jap- Japanese were fighting at the time. So. Hmm, I wonder if there was some provocation going on, uh, going on there. And then Pat Buchanan um, uh, said that Roosevelt also committed an act of war against Japan in August of 1941 when he secretly approved sending a crack uh, Air Force squadron uh, and they were called the Flying Tigers to fight alongside the Chinese nationalists. So even though these flyers were officially volunteers, Buchanan claimed that they were recruited at U.S. bases. They were offered f- uh, five times a normal pay and they were sent off to fight Japan months before Pearl Harbor in a covert operation run out of FDR's White House, though their planes carried the insignia of the Chinese Army. They, they were on active duty for the United States. Um, so. You know, obviously some pretty interesting uh, and and suspicious facts there. Again, I want to point out that really no evidence has has arisen uh, proving a conspiracy. Um, uh, But it sure does ring a bell. I want to uh, recommend a couple of books to you, um, even though you could easily spend a lifetime reading uh, the best books out there about Pearl Harbor. the, the, The two good ones that I've been working out of, um, uh, one is called Pearl Harbor, The Verdict of History. Uh, again, it's by a gentleman named Gordon Prang. Uh, it's published by McGraw-Hill, uh, 1986. And the other one is Revisionism and the Origins of Pearl Harbor uh, by Frank Mintz. And that's out of University Press of America in uh, 1985. So that's going to about take care of this first uh, uh, conspiracy theory along my here my little conspiracy weblog. Um, send me an email, let me know what your thoughts are my email is johnjesmin at gmail.com that's j-o-h-n j-e-z-m-u-n-d at gmail.com and I'd love to get some of your insights on what's going on with, uh, or what your thoughts are about what happened in Pearl Harbor back in the 40's my next episode is going to be called Blowing Smoke um uh, there was a, a, basically a convicted drug dealer, said that Dan Quayle um is basically uh, a pothead, and uh, feds toss him in solitary. And uh, if you know if that was just a pipe dream, right? <laughs> Why do they need to shut this drug dealer up? So, uh, take a look at uh, Dan Quayle's history with the buds. Um, tune in next time, or uh, visit my blog and uh, just get a RSS uh, subscription to this feed. It's, uh, again, at conspiracy.podbean.com. Thanks for listening.